Open has come to a close and Gary Woodland the champion 13 under par and beating the defending champion by three shots Elk what did you make of well first of all happy Father's Day and what did you make of the final day of the US Open oh thank you Diane good morning I uh, I indeed have a great Father's Day I played golf with Sam uh, in the morning my wife and daughter were down camping so they weren't here we came back and cooked steaks and sat side by side on the couch and watch the uh, U.S. Open unfold. It was closer than three shots, Diane, as, as the final tally. Uh, Brooks Kepka, of course, missed a 10-footer on the last hole that would have made Gary Woodland par the last. And then just like Tom Watson did in 1982, he kind of had the tournament sealed up and all of a sudden a 30-footer rolled in. I told Sam on the couch, I said, sometimes the ball just goes in. You're not even, all you're trying to do is two-putt. I mean, yeah. what, what psychology is that all about? <laughs> It was excellent. Um, let's talk about Gary Woodland's final round because, well, it was a final round of two under par. But uh, for me, there was a couple of pivotal shots and one of them I know you're going to agree with because I saw you tweeting about it. But when he played the three wood on 14 to get to the green in two, that was a bold shot. It certainly was. It probably will be go down as one of the historic shots that won this tournament for Gary Woodland. Hardly anyone ever goes for the green in number, on number 14 in two. And the reason for that is, of course, you know, we talked about it all week. The, the whole bottleneck's up there around about 100 yards short. There's out of bounds on the right. Mm-hmm. The big bunker in the front is not too bad. Uh, left of the green is pretty nasty. So there's not real, Diane, there's not really any great, you know, advantage for trying to get that ball, you know, on that green. However, it's a hard shot to hit that green with a wedge, as we saw with uh, Brooks Kepka miss the green with a wedge down into the left side, and there's always trouble at 14 with a wedge shot. And here we are back with 265 yards, and I thought to myself, well, he must be just going to try to get this into that bunker mm-hmm. in front. And when I saw that ball carry that bunker, that's 265 yards shot up a hill. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be really high to carry, you know, 265, probably more like 280 up a hill, and then. To be able to stop pin high is is just <laughs> it's just lo- like not even believable. And sometimes I wonder if uh, if there's something else at, at, something else helping sometimes when we win majors or something else is at, in, in play, Diane. That's holding these balls where you just haven't seen it happen before. I think it says so much for Woodland's mental state and how composed he was at that time as well because he'd bogeyed 12, then parred 13 and he must have been standing on that fairway thinking, I've got to give it my all. Like, I'm in the running here to win my first ever major. I have to play bold here. And it worked out. Yeah, he said uh, right after he finished, I always like to listen to the post-round interviews right away. And he said he, him and his caddy talked about going for it right there to try to get a little separation because... You know, it's hard to get another birdie coming in on, you know, 15, 16, 17, maybe Mm -hmm. 18. But, you know, you'd like to have something in your pocket when you come to 18. So they decided as as a team right there to go for it. They made birdie there. And, um, of course, he had a few other obstacles that we'll discuss coming in from there. The one, of course, on 17 will be (laughs) one to remember for sure. That was incredible. So 17, such a large green. And it's almost like kind of, two greens joined together in a sense, but he played his uh, par three, obviously, 
played his tee shot way down the kind of bottom part of the green and was left with 90, over 91 foot. And he played that little chip shot. And I've watched that in slow motion so many times because you just see him scuff the green and he put the ball to, what, like two foot? And that shot is going to go down in US Open history. Yeah, there's been some famous shots on that hole, as you know, one when 1972 when Nicholas hit a one-iron and hit the flag and, and finished one inch away. And then Tom Watson in 82 chipped in from behind the left of the green. And then mm-hmm. this one, you know, it was a, ve- it was a very poor shot. That, that, as you just said, 90 feet. So he hit the, hit the ball 90 feet to the right of the pin on his tee shot. And the reason he had to chip it was because there's quite a, a speed bump in that green there, Diane. So if you putt it, if he was to putt that ball, which might not have been the worst option, uh, he probably the best he could do was maybe hit it 10 feet, and uh, he decided to chip it. But I think it, everything was explained when uh, Paul Azinger in the booth said, I'm glad that's him hitting that shot and not me, because we all were like, oh, my God, this thing, I mean, could you skull this thing in a second, yeah. or could you hit it fat? I mean, give me a break. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's been giving a lot of credit to uh, Pete Cowan, who's been helping him with his short game action. You know, he's always been a great player, uh, Gary Woodland, long hitter. He was kind of the Brooks Koepka um, at the end of my era where they had this young guy that they said could dunk a basketball and real athletic and uh, strong and, you know, hit the ball a country mile. And he has an unusual swing, you know. It's not a very long swing. And then he down he, – he, on his downswing, he loads the club on the downswing, sort of they used to call it a buggy whip or Sergio Garcia, so he has this tremendous amount of lag in his swing. And uh, that's, of course, where he gets all of his power from. And, um, yeah, so he finished up making power on on on, um, on 17. And what a shot that Kepka went for on 18, Diane. And, and he hit it so good, it just came out a little flat, as he said. Didn't quite have the height on it that it needed to bite on the green, but... How much drama could have happened if it just if that stayed on and that you know just it's so close. And then he had that putt on 18 that would have only separated the two by one shot um, at that point, and the ball just kind of like rolled over the right edge of the the hole. And he knew at that point he actually could see it in his face, thinking like, "Well, that's it. Any chance that I maybe had at being in the clubhouse and and waiting for Woodland to come in, that's kind of gone now." And he was, of course, going for the three in a row. But yesterday, that performance from Kepka was excellent, especially when he was, what, like four under through five? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, for any, for any of those that are late to get on the, the Brooks Kepka bandwagon, um, Brandel, um, <laughs> is he just the most ferocious competitor now? He is just mm-hmm. like, was just pushing it hard off the front nine yesterday, kind of like we used to see. I imagine it was like, like, Arnold Palmer would do something like that. I was thinking to myself, Tiger Woods would just shake up the crowd and just up ahead, there's just thunder, right? It's just thunder, 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 and you could hear it back there. And by the way, you know, playing in that final group in a major for Gary Woodland was just one of the most frightening things that he could ever go through, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a couple of things that helped him with. He played with Justin Rose. He was a friend of his, and I think he he played in the last group the day before and, and, and played really well. So there wasn't anything for... Woodland to get too concerned about while I watched him play on Saturday he made two really really crucial shots that we have to remember um, when he chipped in at 12 Diane then he hold his fifth shot at 14 those two will also go down as just remarkable saves 
Yep, exactly. And then uh, Gary Woodland with that 30 foot putt on 18, <laughs> just to get it done in style. That was an amazing moment. And for me, I love it when it is a major and somebody in the last group wins and they win in style like that. You know, you don't want to see a tap in for them to win. I want to see the drama on the 18th and that putt from Woodland just sealed the deal. Yeah, he had a delayed reaction. It was like, I just, he said he didn't do, he did a great job of not getting ahead of himself. He knew exactly where he was. For those that don't think they need to look at the scoreboard, he knew exactly what he did. He hit a five iron off the tee. He faded it to the right side of the fairway where he couldn't get in any trouble. He hit a six iron for his second shot, faded it away from the ocean. Then he hit a nine iron or a wedge on his third shot. He faded it away from the pin over there, 30 feet, just fade, fade, fade. And then, of course, you know, that putt was, he was going pretty fast, but yeah. at that point it didn't really matter because he had three putts to win it. But um, his mum and dad were there, and I thought I, I, all these things. I'm sitting there with Sam thinking, you know, he had a son, he has a son now. They... He's got a twin girls on the way. And, yeah. man, he's got some good TV stuff for them to show someday. And all on Father's Day as well. It, I got really emotional when I saw his mum and dad. Actually, I walked at the players. I walked with Gary Woodland's mum for uh, the first two days because he was playing in the same group as Russell. And I was talking to her, and she is just the sweetest, nicest woman. And they're retired now. They tried to get out to support him as much as possible. And as soon as I saw her behind the green on 18 with tears in her eyes. I was like, oh my gosh, that's me, I'm done. But what a lovely moment. It, it gave me goosebumps. I watched it again and again. It was just fantastic to see them there. Yeah, I don't know Gary Woodland that well, but he's really good friends with Colt Noss. I've, I know Gary uh, socially. You know, I go to the Jason Dufton's house quite a bit when all those boys are over there for Jason's Pro-Am. And, yeah. you know, Spieth was there. I saw... Uh, I saw uh, JT was there last night. They were all in the tap room till 1 a.m. I, I saw on Twitter where he, Gary Woodland signed someone's forehead. You know? <laughs> so I know, you know, as quiet as and as calm as uh, uh, Gary Woodland seems on TV, he's exactly like that in real life. He Compared to the other guys, Spieth and JT and Duff and all them, they're just crazy but having fun. But, you know, I've been at their house where they're having a few having a few beers and listening to music and, Gary just kind of sits over there and just smiles and talks mm -hmm. quietly and just he's just one of the guys, you know. And, yeah. and um, you know, that sort of personality, uh, whew, I think that suited him well for yesterday because, man, I don't know what it was like for him on the inside, but I, I know it was stressful for him playing those last few holes. Yeah, I mean, it had to be. Let's talk about Justin Rose because um, there was only one shot in it heading into the final round. As you said, Gary Woodland and Justin Rose, good friends in the final group together. But yesterday was not his day. He shot three over in the round, finished seven under total and tied for third. What did you see in Justin Rose yesterday? Well, I think I saw what everyone else saw, Diane, that he was, he was, uh, he, he looked like he was going to shoot that score he shot yesterday on every day he played because he was leading the tour. He's 12 putts ahead of anyone else on the tour. He'd had like 70 putts over 54 holes. So look to me with his swing, his right shoulder was a little too high and he was just holding onto the club a little long for him. I sort of predicted this at the Masters that he wasn't going to do well and he finished up missing the cut at the Masters, tinkers with his swing a little bit and he's such a good player. Mm -hmm. Um, I hated for him that it was going to go down that way but um, yesterday, but, you know, he's such a champion that uh, he will make those adjustments. His game's in good shape. He, uh, I think, as you know, the more pressure that gets put on a mountain, it eventually cracks it, and I think yesterday was the, was the 
was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. There was just too many loose shots from Justin Rose for for his style of play. He's a very controlled player. He's a very precise player, and he was just out of his element yesterday. And of course, you can't keep making 15 footers for par, and that's the way it turned out for him. And but he's a great champion. I think he finished third or so on his own. Yeah. So that'll that'll look good on his uh, on his season as well. Tiger Woods, watching him yesterday, and I, I think I started watching the TV coverage as he teed off. He was four over through six, and watching Tiger at that point, he looked dejected. He looked like he was in pain. He was walking a little bit gingerly and being kind of overcautious with stuff, and I was sitting watching it with my mum and dad and Russell, and we were all kind of saying, is he going to finish this round? Because at one stage, it kind of didn't look like it, but then he birdied seven and eight, and then went four under on his back nine. Well, he has so much, so much experience. I did see the head tape on his back. He's, his back's always going to be an issue. You know, it has his fused. I mean, as he gets a bit older, I mean, my back or shoulder or hip or something there's always something hurting but you know the worse you hit it diane in the u.s open the more pain you're going to get in because you've got to hit it so hard out of the rough you start to jar things elbows and wrists and he didn't have a great week with the irons uh he drove it okay but of course as predicted at the beginning of the week it would have to it would have to be for tiger to do well he would have to get it in the fairway and he, mm-hmm. he just didn't quite do that and um pushed himself to where he had to play so aggressive and he kept getting off to bad starts but as a true champion. Now, he putts so good on those greens, mm. you know, and um, I had him in a lot of my games, Diane, in, secret, uh, in SG Tour gaming app, so he actually helped me a lot yesterday <laughs> at the end. So I'm good. thankful for that. And he was playing with Mark Leishman, Secret Golf's Mark Leishman, and so it was great actually to see more of Leishman's day yesterday, um, especially kind of in the early part of the day. But Mark Leishman and Jason Duffner are two guys that made the cut. Patton missed it, but they both finished T35 yesterday. So not the not the tournament they wanted. And for Leishman, it was a shame he had a double on 17, but birdie on 18. But we caught up with him, spent a good amount of time with both of them, actually. And Leishman told us certain things he's been working on for his game. Yeah, I think we'll be able to share some of those things. Leishman talked about playing in pressure and talking about what he, how he has to get ready for majors and of course playing i talked to both of them they said it was blast playing this week in the u.s open at pebble beach so something they'll never forget playing with tiger yesterday was least was said it was awesome you know great energy um duff said you know he could have played two or three shots better each day or two or three shots worse he said he just it was one of those courses where you know it was just like you know if i hit it here i'm good if i just miss it a yard or two i'm not so good so mm-hmm. it, it became apparent um to all of us watching that you know, Pebble Beach has a um, a certain signature about about itself. When when you when you know when you watch it, you know you have to play number eight really well. And some courses we watch it, it, it reminds me of very much like when you play Augusta. You know, you're watching the back nine, yes, at Woodland at 14, but you know there's a big opportunity for Kepka at 18 because if he hits his driver left of the tree, you know, there's a lot of anticipation uh, when you when you're watching on a golf course like like Pebble Beach, there's there's more to it than just the drama of the golf. There's The course becomes involved as well. And Patton Kazire was our third Secret Golf team member in the field. He shot nine over on the first day, got off to a bad start, ended up five over, missed the cut. But it was the first time that Patton had played Pebble Beach. He'd never played the AT&T Pro-Am before. Do you think that put him at a disadvantage right out of the gate? Well, yeah, I think he he needed a couple more practice rounds for sure. Pebble Beach, very intimidating if you go out there and you've never seen it because all you see is rough and 
you're not sure which side of the hole to be on. I mean, yeah, he's he's a fish out of water playing Pebble Beach for the first time in this tournament. I mean, there's no reason why he needs to get out there and play that course some more. He needs to change his thinking uh, and get out there and play that wonderful course uh, in the in you know in the winter. He'll be back. He'll he'll get another crack at Pebble Beach in in about eight eight or nine years. But um, of course, he came back and shot four under the second day. So mm-hmm. I think it's just lack of experience. All the guys that played well in this tournament had the most experience playing at Pebble Beach. Let's talk about the setup of the course because the USGA has been under fire the past couple of years. Erin Hills, Shinnecock last year. Do you think they got the course set up right this year? Absolutely. They got the course set up perfectly this year. The, when you look at it from, you know, you know, what do you mean perfect? Okay, well, the fairways were wide enough for the players to get the ball in the fairway. They have the, you know, the first cut. They have that new beveled cut, which was really interesting. I don't know if anyone picked up on it or not, but just three feet off the fairway as you've got your first cut, and then, and then you've got this wall of grass about four, four inches high. Well, they sort of beveled that at an angle so that if you did miss it just three feet, it didn't just go up against a wall of grass. It was sort of a, a, beveled, a beveled edge. So, And then you talk about the greens. The greens were really firm. You know, they... They gave the players enough room to bounce their ball in there. There was some. There was. A, there wasn't really any sort of craziness. No catastrophes where guys were chipping back and forth. Uh, the pin placements overall, I thought, were uh, slightly on the conservative side, but they had to in case the marine layer lifted and they got yeah. like a out of the blue twenty mile an hour wind. So, yeah, I think uh, Diane, they've learnt their lesson and. Uh, the, the the most complimentary thing that you can say about the USGA was nobody mentioned them for four days and it was all about the players and all about Pebble Beach. Yeah, that's true, definitely. And I think so much had been, um, there was so much anticipation around the course setup that that was almost all done out of the way Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so we could actually enjoy the play for the championship. Also, we spoke to Jason Gore and he's working for the USGA now and his role is effectively player relations. And we had a podcast last week and go back and listen to that. It's very interesting, the work that he's doing with him. But he was also involved in the course setup too. And I think on their part, that was a smart move getting him on the team yeah nick price is out there too and and uh, mr bodenheimer so um i don't want to say that mike davis has removed himself from that situation but he has he's gotten himself away from the course setup and they've got some guys that are um truly uh not that mike davis isn't um, he has a great record uh he's just had some you know some some things happen uh um, he, no one loves golf more than mike davis however that's all in the past, and we we forgive him now that it's been set up perfect. But uh, yeah, when you got guys like Jason Gore and, and Nick Price that are helping working with the USGA about setup, they know Diane. They know the trajectory that the players are actually hitting the ball in, and they know what is fair and what's not fair. And they also know that uh, when they start to set these pins, where it becomes a little too you know on the edge. We know it. I mean, it's not a it's not a a big distance. Like, it could be two feet too far up the hill, and nobody can play the hole. It's it's very precise. That was my first time ever being at Pebble Beach, and it was a bucket list for me. I was so excited to be there and to actually see that place in the flesh was unbelievable. I mean, it's like sensory overload. You every corner you turn, every view that you see, it was spectacular. But 
it's like it has its own little microclimate with the weather there. And the weather was not great. When we were there on Tuesday, it was perfect. It was hot. It was bright sunshine. But then from Wednesday, it really started to turn. And that marine layer comes in. You can feel the damp mist. It's almost like it's hitting you in the face. It got really windy as well. But the weather plays such an important factor when it comes to this golf course. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I was telling you, I thought five to eight under par would win the tournament. And, uh, you know, I think, what was it, 15? 13 under par. 13 under. If you take uh, one shot per nine over four days, it's eight strokes off 13. So you're back to five. So, you know, I, I was always thinking there's going to be 15, 15 miles an hour of wind. So I think it affects the course one stroke per nine because mm. it just becomes much difficult, much more difficult. But, you know... The holes were hard enough in places. I mean, there was some long irons being hit. I mean, how good did eight look on TV when they're coming across that gorge and uh, trying to hit that tiny small green? That stretch of seven, eight, or even six, seven, eight, nine, ten is just the most amazing stretch of real estate ever on a golf course. I kept watching it. Obviously, I'd been there and I'd walked the course, and it's unbelievable when you actually see it there. But watching it on TV, it felt kind of different for me. And I kept looking at it thinking... I could never play this course. I don't know how the average amateur could go out and play that course. Well, you've got to you've got to save up, Diane, and get your seven hundred someday and <laughs> go out there and, and give it a give it a whirl. Take out your Taco Bell ball, maybe not on number seven in case you push it, because I know if it, if you hit your Taco Taco Bell ball in the ocean, you're going in after it because yes. you love that ball so much. So yeah, we should talk about that actually, because um, we were with one of your friends, um, a guy called David Grieve. We we shot a show on him actually for Secret Golf up at his winery in where is it Sonoma? Sonoma, yeah, Sonoma, Napa, yep. But we hung out with him and he's got some Taco Bells and I love Taco Bell and it's not even a joke. It's my favorite thing. And he gave me Taco Bell golf balls. And you've been laughing at me because there's certain holes, i.e. any hole with water on it, that I will never use that ball on because I want to keep them forever. (laughs) And of course, we were the lucky ones that got to go on David Greaves' boat that everyone kept seeing those boats in the harbor. And he, he parked his boat there for the week. So we went over there and had a little... Uh, libation at the end of each day and we even had a uh, opening of secret golf tour golf gaming app on wednesday night with some of our friends and we went out on the boat for a couple of hours and how wonderful was that and our game is open and we're really all thrilled about all of that the funny thing is and i i never like to be braggy on social media and be like oh look at me out on this yacht at the u.s open but uh, the people that knew that I was there my phone was blowing up all weekend like are you still there are you on the boat because the TV coverage showed the boats in Stillwater Cove so much <laughs> that I kept having to say that is actually the boat that I was on I actually read an article on golf.com elk and um, one of the journalists had been on the boat when you were there and said that he looked over he could see Steve Elkington lounging out watching the golf watching the action it seemed like the perfect way to do it yeah, we stayed there and watched the golf uh, Friday afternoon, and then watched the watched the uh, Golden State Warriors play. It was it was it was awesome, and I'm impressed. Coming from Scotland, you haven't been to Pebble Beach. You even know now that it's Stillwater Cove. You'll never yeah. that'll never be forgotten on you. You'll always know that's not the coast there. It's the cove. Yeah, I feel like I've got good knowledge. But it's funny that you say that because it really did remind me of Scotland. We were staying in Carmel. I went to the beach on Friday morning, and it was so misty and gloomy, and it had a real feel of Scotland to it, and I loved that. Yeah, Carmel is you know it's just the, one of the most wonderful towns in all of the world. It, it would be a place that I could. 
eventually think about hanging my hat there someday, just have one of those little cottages, Diane, where you could just walk to the beach with your dogs and hang out at some of those great little pubs they have around there and play some of that wonderful golf. We got to play Monterey Peninsula Golf Club on uh, Wednesday morning with Sam and, and uh, where they play the tour on the Shores course. That was outstanding. The wind got up about 30 miles an hour and we had our sweaters on and I was thinking about my friends here in Texas where it's 105 <laughs> degrees. and yes. Just such a contrast from coast to coast here in this country and uh, all things being said Gary Woodland's walking away with you know the U.S. Open trophy but now it seems Diane that there's a sort of a new style of golf that's being created now with uh, Brooks Kepka and Gary Woodland this power game that now these guys have super short games and can putt you know they used to we used to always think about Tom Kite Tom Watson some of these guys that that had the super short games, but now we're seeing these longer guys that have the super short games. And this week, well, it's on to the Travellers' Championship, TBC River Highlands, so we'll be doing a little bit of a preview for that later in the week. And also, I want to talk to you about this guy quickly because I'm going to speak to him tomorrow and do a little interview for the podcast. But Rian Gibson, who won the BMW Charity Pro-Am on the Web.com tour a couple of weeks ago, we're going to talk to him because now with that win, another two top fives, he's got his PGA Tour card locked in for next year. Yeah, I can't wait to hear from Rian. He's from Australia. He holds the Guinness Book of Records for the lowest 18-hole round ever shot, like a 55. I want you to get some of that information. Why? How can he go so low? And how did he do it again when he won this week? Finally, uh, he, uh, he's he been tipped for so long to be a successful player on the web, and he just hasn't quite got through. He was on the PGA Tour. He had to go back to the web, and now here he's become back out on the tour and that's going to be great for him so can't wait to hear all the little secret things that he's got to tell us about what got him over the hump again how did you meet rian how did he become part of the secret golf team uh australians have a a funny way of uh uh sifting their way to finding out one another someone will say to me somewhere hey there's an australian guy over there i'm sure you hear the same about scottish people all the time (laughs) yeah and uh you finish up talking to one another and, of course, you finish up pulling for all the Aussies that, uh, that are over here from Australia playing the tour. He married an Oklahoma girl and he's friends with Big Ticket um, and they live up there in Norman, Oklahoma. So Who's Big I've Ticket? Known, uh, one, of our, one of our investors, Marshall okay. Bratton, Big Ticket. Okay, <laughs> okay Big Ticket. So uh, his wife and they're all friends up there. So I've been pulling for Ryan a long time before I signed him. Yeah, good. Well, we're going to find out more about him and his game and then talk about that win and that 55. I caught up with him at the Web.com Tour Championship last year and we talked about that a little bit, but we'll uh, we'll get more out of him when I talk to him later in the week. Elk, thank you so much. Thank you for taking me to Pebble Beach as well because I will never forget it and we had a great time. Let's. Um, I think we need to talk a little bit about the Secret Golf Tour gaming app because we launched it last week and well you spoke about it a bit there so it's going to be out there available in the app store for people to get involved with but tell us a little bit about it well last week was our official launch of course we did three beta tests of all the majors this year uh players uh, masters and pga and then last week we 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 opened it in the app stores sg tour golf gaming uh total total interactive gaming experience where you uh, can have the game on your phone, Diane. You can pick your teams. Uh, you you pick it. Last week we offered a football game where you picked an A, a B, a C, and a D, and you invited all your friends through your cell phone with a text message or an email, 
and we have all the strategy of all the holes. We have putt predictor, and you can talk back and forth with the people in your in your little group. So people are having a ball with it, and we're going to only get bigger. And uh, and when we come to the British Open, we'll close it down now, and then we'll put every other feature that we want to put in there uh, in the next five weeks and be ready to do a big launch at the British Open. Exactly. So watch this space and we will definitely tell you more about it before the Open Championship gets underway. Elk, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Diane. (laughs) 